Okay, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just heard uh, right before the recording started that uh, Ed did his homework, so we appreciate that. You get the gold star. Gina, did you do your homework? No? Okay, well you get points for honesty at least. How about you, Jim? Did you read Psalm 50? That was the homework I gave last week, was to read Psalm 50. You didn't do that? All right. Well, you get points for honesty. Appreciate that. How about you, Doug? Did you do your homework? He's asking, what was my homework? Okay. (laughs) All right, well, fair enough. Let's uh, turn to Psalm 21, I don't know, Psalm Proverbs 21. We're still in the early verses, I think, and and, uh, we got through verse 3 last week. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. So the Lord does have desires for sacrifice, but He has greater desires for us to do righteousness and justice. The the desires that He has for our uh, life, the desires that He has for our... Let me get the slide up here. His desires and specifications for our treatment of others is how I put it on the point. He does have desires and specifications regarding how He is worshipped, but His desires and specifications for our treatment of others are greater in his own estimation. So this is what we have to uh, to center on. All right, well let's start with a word of prayer and set aside our distractions and ask for our Father's blessing upon our time of study today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, thankful for the blessing we have to assemble And Father, mindful that around our country there is increased violence and that violence is uh, spreading in different areas for different reasons. Father, we uh, pray for our nation. We pray for peace to be restored. We pray for the upcoming elections and the consequences there. And we pray for this day as we study to show ourselves approved, Father, that you would bless our time in your word, that you would hedge us about and protect us and Uh, hinder anyone that would come in and and, uh, stop what we're doing. We just thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and more people snuck in while I was praying. That's great. I should pray some more (laughs) and get some more people to join us this morning. All right, welcome. We are in Proverbs 21, and uh, we've looked at the first three verses, and I think we're ready to move on and uh, talk about haughty eyes and a proud heart. As we look at this, the homework I assigned you to do was Psalm 50. Did you do it? So uh, we may start with that here this morning. Um, So some people think, and it's a human idea, I think it's a fallen human idea motivated by the sin nature, that uh, religion can make up for uh, our personal deficiencies and that if if we have sin issues or we have other struggles in our personal life that, well, then that's just motivation to get extra religious and, uh, and getting extra religious kind of compensates. It overcomes and, and it makes up for the fact that uh, I've got these other problems over here. And uh, well, when you read through Isaiah 1, it's pretty clear that God cannot abide iniquity in the solemn assembly. That if you're trying to cover for darkness with uh, religiosity, then God's not fooled. He sees through that. And in fact, He says your, wor- your offerings are worthless. They stink. They're supposed to be a sweet smelling savor and instead they stink. 
and uh, he's pretty pretty blunt in that regard. And so Psalm 50 is another passage whereby the um, I think the principle comes through loud and clear in a lot of ways. Psalm 50, the mighty one, God, the Lord, has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before Him. It is very tempestuous around Him. He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge His people. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. Verse 7, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. Oh, that's not good. (laughs) All right. So now God is the judge, and He's calling heavens and earth to witness. But not only is He the judge, He's also going to testify. And that such a thing wouldn't happen, of course, in our courts. You wouldn't expect the judge to move over to the witness stand and start offering testimony. That's not how our courts are established. But this is what God's doing because He knows everything and He's the perfect witness and He is uh, testifying. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices. You know, you're, you're, you're doing the ritual. You're doing the, the liturgy. You're following along in your, in your uh, liturgical service. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Obviously God never gets hungry, it's a silly thing. But he's illustrating the fact that if he had such a need, he wouldn't be telling them, <laughs> okay? and Because uh, he doesn't need them. And worship is not something that God needs, all right? Doug? Worship is not something that God needs. And uh, it's not what we're doing. When we're doing sacrifice, it's not because God's hungry. Or when we're, when we're praising Him, it's not because He needs the ego boost. He needs to, you know, a little stroking of His self-esteem or anything. For the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat of the flesh of bulls or drink of the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I shall rescue you, you will honor me. Now notice, but to the wicked, God says. And this is, I want to take the time to do this, to, I know I assigned it as homework and, and most of you didn't do it, but there's a value in the process too, that not only do we get to reinforce what we were studying last week, but we get to introduce the concept of the wicked. And the wicked is going to uh, be featured as we move on to verses uh, 4 and 5. And we see the, uh, the wicked actually uh, eight times in, in chapter 21 of Proverbs. So to the wicked God says, What right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? And not only is it is it's curious here, because he's addressing the wicked, and not only is he declaring that their worship is totally inappropriate and, and invalid and he rejects it, but he's also throwing it back to them and asking them as a matter of right. 
as a matter of righteousness or entitlement, what right have you to tell of my statutes? Not only is it inappropriate, but it's completely uh, illegitimate that they have no right to even voice the, uh, the statutes of God in their wicked status. To take my covenant in your mouth, for you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. And if you're going to name the name of the Lord, if you're going to preach the word of God, if you're going to stand in the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, you can't hate discipline, and you can't reject the will of God and His discipline in your life. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. And it's curious that what happens with, with religious folks, and I wonder sometimes if some of this creeps into, you know, I, I don't know, I've never done Catholic um, confession, I've never sat in a booth and, and spilled my guts to, to, <laughs> to a priest, but I, I wonder at what point do they derive any kind of a vicarious um, thrill, or I mean, do they, do they live out the lives of other people through their sins Something like it says here, when you see a thief, you are pleased with him. Like, wow, look what you, this guy's gotten away with. And you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silence. That, that also grabs my attention, too. So this process is not a short time. These, these wicked uh, religious people, they're doing this over a process of time and God has kept silent during that time. And in His patience, in His forbearance, they're actually banking on it. They're actually, because He is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and while He stays silent, they simply take that acquiescence as, as approval, as well, I guess they're they're, they can continue doing what they're doing. You thought I was just like you. Well, think again, because now I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. When he is finally calling them to account, because remember, slow to wrath is not never to wrath. When, when slow to wrath finally gives way to the, to the wrath, to the discipline on the, on the ungodly, they're not getting away with anything. Everything they've done is being recounted. They will, he will call them to account in order. <laughs> I will state the case in order before your eyes. So now consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. And that final verse that wraps up Psalm 50 here, I think it, 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 um, it ties together the, everything we've been talking about last week and, and just now. The recognition that, okay, you got sacrifice, but you also have to Him who orders His way aright. You have your personal walk. You have your daily life. And they've got to be harmonious. They've got to be in agreement that your religious life is not different than your personal life. That, uh, that both are honoring to God to him who orders his way aright. Anyway, with those two things lined up then, I shall show the salvation of God. And as when we outline phase one, phase two, phase three salvation, I think this is clearly phase two. 
in, uh, in this context. All right, so that's, uh, that's Psalm 50, which was your homework for last week. I want to move on. So that ties together the last of Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. God desires both, but the one outranks the other in, uh, in His estimation. So we have our church life and we have our personal life. And uh, both have to be in conformity to God's will and conformity to His Word. Verse 4 then, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin. All right, so let's take a look at this. This is not a good verse. <laughs> so we've got to warn again. We've got to learn what he's warning about. All right, we have the wicked. This is our first look at the wicked here in uh, this chapter. The wicked are referenced eight times in Proverbs 21. And in five of those eight times, uh, possessions are spotlighted. The possessions of the wicked are spotlighted. The wicked are referenced eight times in Proverbs 21. And so we're going to start, in fact, we're going to cover all of these verses under this point in the subpoint. So uh, that means uh, we're going to cover uh, verse 4, 7, 10, 12, and specifically 29. Uh, those five we're going to cover in the subpoints. I'm going to spotlight the five possessions of the wicked. In this one, uh, it's the lamp of the wicked. And, and all of these are of the wicked expressions, which we're going to see. Lamp of the wicked, violence of the wicked, soul of the wicked, house of the wicked, sacrifice of the wicked. From verse 4 to verse 7 to verse 10 to verse 12 to verse 27. You'll see what I'm talking about here. If you ever study the Hebrew and you're going to study the different uh, ways that the, the uh, passages can be uh, constructed here, you've got an absolute state, you've got a construct state, you've got nouns that are in relationship one to another. In this case uh, you have uh, the wicked, which is an adjective being used substantively to describe a group of people, and then a noun that belongs to them. In this case the noun is lamp. The lamp of the wicked. And then you have these of statements that are made five times in this chapter. That just grabbed me, grabbed my attention. I said, that's, uh, that's interesting. So uh, the lamp of the wicked. You get down to verse 7, the violence of the wicked will drag them away because they refuse to act with justice. And we saw violence in, in Psalm 50 a little bit ago. We're going to deal with violence here uh, this morning. And obviously it's the righteous. Do, do the righteous have violence? <laughs> you know? Uh, is, it, is it a one-sided issue? Uh, you know, or can, can, the, uh, can the wicked point to us and, and say, well, you do it too? Well, no, not like this. Uh -uh. And so this is the thing, that when we break down, there's a righteous use of force whereby the, the government does bear the sword, whereby um, and in the will of God that capital punishment is executed upon wrongdoers. But that's not the violence of the wicked that the Scripture condemns every single time related to um, the satanic attitude that is the unrighteous uh, uh, harm that we bring to others. So 
we'll have a, it's going to be a good class. And it's kind of neat. I say neat. It's kind of curious that um, we, we reach a verse like this uh, at a time like this, where in our nation there seems to be um, pretty widespread episodes of, of uh, rioting and, and damage and, uh, and harm that's being inflicted upon people and property and, and, and so forth. So uh, having a verse on violence at a time like this is, is a curious uh, coincidence in my mind in, in the sovereignty of God bringing us to this verse at this time. So the uh, verse 4 again is the lamp of the wicked. Verse 7 is the violence of the wicked. When you get to verse 10, the soul of the wicked, the soul of the wicked. Well, doesn't he have the same soul I have? I, aren't all souls the same? What happens to the soul? Well, great damage happens to the soul in prolonged darkness, in prolonged carnality, in prolonged um, deve- uh, pursuit of satanic wisdom that uh, the soul is affected as well as the soul is affected positively in the time that you spend in the Word of God. So you saturate your soul with the Word of God and you walk in the light and there is a soul benefit. And we've discussed this as well, that the soul benefits and the soul detriments carry across to the body that you can make yourself sick with soul detriments and you can actually make yourself, uh, there's physical health and benefits, uh, joy and so forth that, that have positive effects on the body when, uh, when the soul is in good shape. So uh, the soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. And so the, the desires of the soul, and this one's almost a twofer because you've got um, we've we got to evaluate the aspect of the soul of the wicked just as a possession and then the desire that that soul has. And that um, when we talk about our desires, are those my desires or are those my sin nature's desires? Are they my soul's desires? Does my soul desire something different than what my spirit desires? Um, and And really how can I lay claim to it being mine if it's my soul's desire rather than my desire or my spirit's desire? Are those different things? And um, in the case of the wicked, uh, is it unique to, to the wicked uh, or is it, is it really uh, an expression of what the, the sin nature wants? Because the old sin nature lives inside of us and it has desires as well. So how many desires are in there? <laughs> and if those competing desires have to flip coins or draw straws or take turns or if they, if they thumb wrestle or how do they decide who gets to do what they're going to do, if those desires are conflicting then what ultimately makes the, the call on that? What gets done in those uh, conflicting desires? So uh, some of this is, is actually kind of a broader application maybe than, than the verse itself truly gets into, but I don't mind jumping into it because this I think this is a, a feature that's going to be a nice blend between what we're doing here in Proverbs and also what we're doing in, in Genesis. What we're doing with male and female, He created them. And, and what it means to be human, what it means to be in the image of God. And what is our birthright as the image of God, as image bearers? What is the, um, the responsibility that, that we are under to make decisions and face the consequences in terms of reaping what we sow in the volitional choices that we have. So a lot of this comes into the laws of divine establishment 
and the nature of, uh, of personal volition. So that's uh, the lamp of the wicked, the violence of the wicked, the soul of the wicked. In verse 12, wicked, the, the adjective for wicked shows up twice and only one of them is spoken of in a possession. The righteous one considers the house of the wicked. So the house of the wicked, turning the wicked to ruin. So the adjective wicked is used twice there as a substantive noun. Uh, but only the first of those two uses is, uh, has a possession, has the house of the wicked. All right? So this is how we have, there's eight uses of, of the term throughout the chapter, but only five of those uses have the same construction that we're kind of spotlighting here where you have a possession, the house of the wicked. The lamp of the wicked, the violence of the wicked, the soul of the wicked, the house of the wicked. So this is your, um, your heritage. This is your, your, uh, your house. You know, think about like the house of David. Think of the house of, think of the, the, the house that you have. It's more than, it's not simply a, a physical structure, uh, a, a building that you reside in, but your house is your, your, um, your, your legacy, your, your, your family belonging, if you think about it, because we are in this house. We're born in a house under parents, and then we leave father and mother and cleave to one another, and we form a new house. And uh, then the children and the servants and the extended um, grandchildren and, and, and so forth is the house. So we'll deal with that. Verse 27. No, I'm sorry, verse 18. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous, and the treacherous is uh, in the place of the upright. So that's one of the three non-possession uses. Down to verse 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent. And so this, uh, another possession, the sacrifice of the wicked. And that's exactly what we dealt with last week when we were talking about um, the abomination and, and how they, they stink. The sweet-smelling savor is a, is a terrible smell. And instead of being something that God embraces, it's something that He pushes away from Himself because it is an abomination. So that's the fifth of the possessions. Verse 29 has the, the term, but not as a possession. A wicked man displays a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. All right, so there's the eight times that the adjective rasha occurs in the uh, chapter. Five of them, though, with the possession emphasis, with a belonging to the wicked, the lamp of the wicked. We'll start with that one, okay? And so it's, uh, it's a point of emphasis. It's not the only one, it's, um, and it's not the largest in the book of Proverbs, by the way. Back in Proverbs 10, we had a much greater concentration of this. I don't mind showing you. When you're looking at uh, the wicked, the lemma is rasha. And if all you're going to do is, what do I want to do with this? Let's search. I still remember how to do this. All right. 263 times. This is throughout the Old Testament. I just want to limit it to Proverbs. 
78 times in 77 verses. And if you like looking at the pictures and seeing where they jump out at you. So right here, Proverbs 21, that's where we are, eight times. And so it's been a while since we've had a concentration quite this large. But back in chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, this is where we had more of the usages. You know, 12 times in chapter 10, 11 times in chapter 11, 12 times in chapter 12. And you might remember that, that after we left uh, the, the parental wisdom portion of the book in chapters 1 through 9, where we, the most, most of that emphasis was on parents urging their children to walk in wisdom, in starting in chapter 12, you have an adult son now in his own generational accountability, and right away to kind of kick off this personal and public wisdom section of the book, right away we begin with, with the classic righteous versus the wicked contrast. The, the righteous and the wicked are contrasted, and you get your pericope headings for almost every chapter from uh, starting in chapter 10. The righteous and the wicked are contrasted, and you have so many of these verses that center on, on these terms. And rashak is one of two terms that uh, stresses wickedness throughout this section. The other one being uh, ra or ra'ah that speak of evil that uh, gets used in a tandem there as well. Okay. I see they've added some, I don't know what that is, that's different. <laughs> Hold down Z and use your mouse to zoom the chart. Really? Okay. Logos had a big chain, uh, product update on Monday. And they rolled out Logos 9, and I'm still finding different, <laughs> different tweaks of things that, that weren't there in Logos 8. So that's, uh, that's one of those. All right, so we are looking at the lamp of the wicked. What is the lamp of the wicked? The lamp of the wicked is sin. Let's start with lamp. So subpoint A, we're going to start with verse 4 and lamp. And I'm just going to run through these five possessions uh, as subpoints A, B, C, D, and E. And uh, we'll take lamp, violent, soul, house, and sacrifice in that order and uh, take it from there. Now lamp of the wicked, this exact phrase we've had before, the ex uh, or no, I'm sorry, we have not had before. This exact phrase comes up two other places this is the first of the two places that it shows up in Proverbs. It's also featured in the book of Job. The lamp of the wicked. And we're told that the lamp of the wicked is sin. Now it's curious because Proverbs uses lamp in different ways, but Proverbs uses lamp uh, as an idiom, as an expression for being alive, for physical life. That if the lamp goes out, that's an expression that means you're dead. That as long as the lamp is still lit, you're still, you have physical life. But when the lamp goes out, uh, that it's, it's an idiom or an expression for physical death. And uh, so if that's the, the consistent idiom for the lamp of the body in, throughout Proverbs, then what does this mean then that sin is the lamp of the wicked? <laughs> that it really, is, is that the motivation that keeps them alive? Is it sin that, uh, that keeps them animated, that sin is what animates their walk, which that, that, that kind of becomes telling at a, at a certain point. What is it that animates the unbeliever? 
Is it the, the passing pleasures of sin that they, they find themselves living for more and more? And uh, you know, if you take that away from them, and what, what's, what's left to live for in, uh, in different ways? Let's see, uh, the next time this comes up again in Proverbs 24, 20. There will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. And so this is a verse that actually has both of our terms because rot is our adjective for evil. And rashat is our adjective for wicked. That's interesting. Evil, wicked. This is the new, let me turn that off, that's kind of irritating. Okay. So it has both the adjectives, rock and, uh, and uh, rashat in this verse. There will be no future for the evil man. You know, and, and obviously there is an eternal destiny but not the, the future of blessing that you and I are looking forward to, not the hope that has been designed for us. We have a, a future and a hope. We have glory to look forward to, to anticipate. And, uh, and physical death is, is not an obstacle to that. In fact, physical death is the, the transition into the greater blessings that we have when we're absent from the body and at home with the Lord. And so we have tremendous things to look forward to. What does the unbeliever have to look forward to? Darkness, death, the eternal separa- separation from the glory of God, the second death and the lake of fire for all eternity. That's horrible. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. And uh, not only is that an idiom to express physical death, but it's also, I think, a recognition that, that even the common grace that, that we enjoy on this earth, believers and unbelievers alike, even the common grace ends with the second death. When they, when they stand before the great white throne or the throne of the lake of fire, that's the last they will ever enjoy of God's common grace. That, uh, that uh, they have eternal darkness to look forward to for all eternity. How about Job 21? And this is a bit of a lament on Job's part, a bit of a sour grapes that it seems to him anyway that he's going through a real tough time right now and the, the wicked people seem to get away with what they get away with. That, um, without reading the whole chapter on this, but let's see. Okay. Job answers, listen carefully to my speech. Let this be your way of consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. Then after I've spoken, you may mock. Okay? In other words, you can go back to teasing me again after you just listen to this last thing I have to say. As for me, is my complaint to man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember, I am disturbed and horror takes hold of my flesh. Why do the wicked still live? Continue on, also become very powerful. And we all have the same complaint when we're going through undeserved suffering and we wonder why is it that, that these wicked people seem to live the lifestyles of the rich and famous and they've got all these things going for them. Their descendants are established with them in their sight, their offspring before their eyes, their houses are safe from fear, the rod of God is not on them, their ox mates without fail, the cow calves and does not abort, 
They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children skip about. (laughs) Now much of this is probably not even true. It just seems that way. It just seems like you're looking at the the green grass on the other side of the fence and, and it just seems like they don't have, and they never have any problems. Everything is great. They sing to the timbrel and the harp, rejoice at the sound of the flute, they spend their days in prosperity, and suddenly they go down to Sheol. They, do, they say to God, depart from us. We do not even know, we do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what would we gain if we entreat Him? Behold, their prosperity is not in their hand, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Alright, so that's the lament. And as far as Job is concerned, is he wasting his life being righteous? What's he getting out of it? And look at these guys. Look what they're getting out of it. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Or does their calamity fall on them? Does God apportion destruction in His anger? Says It seems like it doesn't happen very often. Why are they getting away with it? Are they a straw before the wind like chaff which the storm carries away? You say God stores away a man's iniquity for his sons. Let God repay him so that he may know it. Let his own eyes see his decay. Let him drink the wrath of the Almighty. Anyway, it goes on. So this is uh, the lament here in chapter 21. And, And obviously by this point he is saturated in this human viewpoint. At this point he is completely in despair and he's saying some, some wrong things as it applies to the, the justice of God and the fairness of God. Alright, well if the lamp of the wicked is sin, where does that come from? And um, for this I want to kind of draw some conceptual parallels with what this verse actually says, haughty eyes and, and a proud heart, to recognize that this lamp, that this lamp is motivated by Satan's example, by the pattern that we have in the adversary. The lamp of the wicked is sin stemming from satanic imitation. And this cuts, I think, very clear uh, in uh, not only in Proverbs but beyond Proverbs in the, in the breadth of Scripture that describes the, uh, the rebellion of Satan and his role as the king of pride and, uh, and what it is that we're actually doing. So let's start here with verse 5. The, uh, I'm sorry, verse 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The A part, is it, is it parallel to the B part? Is it expanded by the B part? Is it, is it the antithesis of the B part? What, how is the poetry working in this verse? They're not describing opposite things. They're describing the same thing. And they're describing the same thing in, in, a, in a more comprehensive way. And so... The, the lamp of the wicked is, is by definition then what, uh, what fills that, uh, that, that, what it is that that wicked person is looking to, right? So if you're looking to the light, you're going to be full of light. If you're looking to the darkness, you're going to be full of darkness. Jesus taught this principle that you've got to be careful if, if your light becomes darkness, how great is the darkness. Um, but in this case we got a, we got a believer or unbeliever and we doesn't even say that he's saved or not, but it's a person that's imitating Satan. And that's reflected by the fact that they're just prideful. They have the haughty eyes and the, and the proud heart. This could be, I mean, it's every unbeliever out there, but it's sadly it's far too many believers as well 
that don't allow themselves to be transformed by the Word of God, and so they're just walking like, like mere men. They're walking like the unbelievers they used to be. Let's take a look at some of these other things then. Proverbs 6, 17. Oh, that's different. How did I do that? That's how I did that. Okay, don't do that again. <laughs> Proverbs 6, 17. Do you remember these abominations? Do you remember what it is that God hates? There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. And then as we went through this, it was in chapter 6, this is the parental wisdom portion of the book. This is what you've got to train up your children to recognize from the youngest of ages so that you, you develop this character out of them as, as, uh, in, as part of your parenting, as a part of your child training. Haughty eyes is number one on that list. <laughs> so start there. Haughty eyes and a lying tongue. And, and just as you go through each of these items, there's six of them and then number seven, recognize all of these are satanic activities. You can pinpoint every single one of these in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Jeremiah 4, the fall of Satan passages. You can find these in, uh, as titles for our adversary. As Jesus addresses him, he was a liar from the beginning. Haughty eyes and a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. If you think uh, Cain murdering Abel was the first time, then it's the first time in, on Adam's earth. But I believe there was bloodshed on the angelic earth. And the uh, capacity that angels had before they were locked into their present immortality. But the, the nature of angelity during their stewardship, during their temporal uh, assignments before they you know, today they're eternal beings, they're, they're immortal. But uh, was that always the case? No. He did not allow his prisoners to go home, we're told. There was bloodshed on the angelic earth. A heart that devises wicked plans. And so uh, the heart that's uh, perverted, and we see the heart here, the uh, haughty eyes and the proud heart, that devises, that longs for, that desires this is one of the this is the uh, the heart's desire and uh you know it's it's a curious expression to me when we say when people say well follow your heart's desire well you know the bible says the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked those desires are probably not what i want to be pursuing i want to be pursuing god's desires i want a clean heart that's transformed but a heart that desires or devises wickedness we're going to see uh in uh, verse 5 of Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty, that, that it's our thoughts and intentions of the heart that the Word of God judges. Anyway, stay tuned for that. Feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. The seventh one is the one that has the emphasis in the six plus one pattern. The uh, one who spreads strife among brothers. Do you think the Cain and Abel strife was the first time he'd done that? No. On the angelic earth he was a strife spreader. On the angelic earth he was, had the influence that he had so as to draw a third of the, of the angels that followed after him. Spreading strife. 
among brothers. He's good at it. And this is what he does. All right, Proverbs uh, 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. This is sanctified hate. And if you don't hate evil, I would submit that you don't fear the Lord. That, uh, because this definition here. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance the e- and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. And so we see the description of Satan and we see the, the imitation of Satan in the, uh, in the life of sinners, believers and unbelievers alike. If you're imitating the fallen one, then uh, you're puffing yourself up in the pride and arrogance and this is uh, lining yourself up in for God's discipline. Pride and arrogance in the evil way, the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. By understanding, power is mine. So are we going to turn to God's Word and, and be renewed? Or are we, and that's, that's what this passage is telling us to do, Romans 12, other passages that address this. Or am I going to forget God's Word and just be an imitator of Satan? That's the pride and the arrogance. Proverbs 30 and verse 13. There is a kind. There is a kind. Oh, how lofty are his eyes. His eyelids are raised in arrogance. There is a kind of man whose teeth are like swords and his jaws, his jaw teeth like knives. And you want to know something? It's the same guy. It's the same guy because he's an imitator of Satan. He has the lofty pride. He has the great appearance, but he devours teeth are like swords, as jaw teeth like knives, to devour the afflicted of the earth and the needy from among men. Back up a little bit. Verse 11, there is a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. That's the first of these three. Three in a row of there is a kind. Or more, four in a row. Four in a row. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet not washed from his filthiness. There is a kind. How lofty are his eyes. There is a kind. That's a neat song, or a neat proverb. Proverbs 30. I tell you, when we get to 29, 30, 31, when we get to the words of Augur, when we get to the, the, uh, the, the words of King Lemuel, and some of those, those final chapters that were added to the canon, um, they're significant. I'm looking forward to those. All right. The lamp of the wicked is sin, stemming from the satanic imitation. Job 41.34 in the description of Leviathan. Job 41.34. It ends the chapter. Well, it ends the English chapter. He looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. King over all the sons of pride. Not only is he the prototype, not only did he sin first, all the other angels that went after him, but he has the, the, the dominion that, that he, he rules these fallen angels. He rules unbelievers. He's got this, the, uh, the whole age that's, that's uh, been given to him. He's the God of this age. He rules as a king. I think he has the counterfeit prophet, priest, and king elements. Certainly the Antichrist will have the prophet, priest, and king elements that, uh, that we usually assign to Jesus. Anyway, if you've never gone through this, I recommend go through Psalm 41. And I forget how the English and Hebrew chapter divisions break down here. 
Job 41. Okay, it is the last verse of the English and the Hebrew chapters, but it's only verse 26 of the Hebrew chapter because the previous chapter division is different. And it's only verse 25 of the Septuagint. This is where your software is smarter than you are. (laughs) And if you're not sure where the versification matches up, Logos uh, keeps track for you. Scroll up to the top of chapter 41 and see. Here we go. Interesting. So what we have is 41.9 is the chapter break in, uh, in the Hebrew and in the Septuagint. Curious. Behold, your expectation is false. That means chapter 40. The first eight verses of chapter 41 are still in chapter 40 as far as the Hebrew is concerned. Curious, okay. So our, our chapter 40 ends in verse 24, but in the Hebrew it keeps going for eight more verses. 25, 26, 27, okay. 32. All right. Well, thank you. Hope I didn't bore you with that. I was trying to teach myself something there. <laughs> so, but read through this, okay? Chapter 40 and chapter 41. In chapter 40, you've got Behemoth, which is uh, uh, the, the pinnacle of the beast, the largest of the beasts, the monstrosities of the beast. Uh, most likely, it's the Hebrew description of dinosaurs, all right? The Behemoth, the monster beasts of, uh, of great size. And then the dragon, Leviathan, with a personal name. And, um, and uh, you can speak to him. Can you draw him out like a fish hook? He breathes fire. He, um, you have a dragon description here with Leviathan, what the Hebrew calls the tanin, the dragon. And then you see that uh, this is not a zoological beast. His breath kindles coals, his flame goes forth from his neck from his mouth. Anyway, liberals don't like this. They say, well, it's a crocodile. Like it's a fire-breathing crocodile. What are you talking about? Okay, it's a dragon. Why do you take issue with the dragon? But when you get to the end of the chapter, he makes the depths boil like a pot. He makes the depths boil like a... This is so glorious. When you read through this, I think Tolkien ripped this off. When, uh, when, when Tolkien wrote The Hobbit, when he wrote The Boasting of the Dragon Smog, and Smog is, is showing off to Bilbo and he's demonstrating how glorious he is and how powerful he is, how mighty he is, and then he rolls over and Bilbo sees the little empty spot in his armor and, and he and, and realizes, hey, we just got to shoot an arrow through there. Um, anyway, Tolkien 
when he was writing that part of the of the Hobbit, I think he ha- he was taking it. He was ripping off Job forty one, uh, because the, God does the same thing. God is describing the the armor and the javelins and the weaponry and the fire breathing and all the things of of, uh, of Leviathan, and there's no weakness anywhere. There is no uh, there's no gap. There's no empty spot. There's no um, you know, missing uh, uh, stone that Bard can shoot an arrow through. All right, his breath kindles coals, a flame fi- uh, goes forth from his mouth, his neck lodges strength, the dismay leaps before him, the folds of his flesh are joined together, firm on him and immovable. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as a lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty fear, or the God's fear, I think that's the Elohim. Because of the crashing they are bewildered. The sword that reaches him cannot avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He regards iron as straw, bronze as rotted wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned to stubble for him. Clubs are regarded as stubble. He laughs at the rattling of the javelin. His underparts. You think maybe he's got a weakness somewhere? You think maybe you can just stab him in the... In the uh, private parts. His underparts are like, you know, so think again, even those parts are going to kill you, are like sharp potsherds. He spreads out like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the depths boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a jar of ointment. Behind him he makes a wake to shine. One would think the deep to be gray-haired. The deep, okay, the tahom, darkness was brooding over the surface of the deep. He makes the depths boil like a pot. This is why God assigned darkness in the Tohu Wabohu judgment of Genesis 1 2. Because uh, Satan was trying to light it up. Nothing on earth is like him, one made without fear. He looks on everything that is high and uh, he wants it. <laughs> if it's higher than him, then it's wrong. He needs it. He has to be the highest. He looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. So that's that's who we're imitating when we decide that we have um, lofty eyes and a proud heart. When we decide that there's something out there that we want. When we decide that we're number one in the universe. That God's word says, don't do this, but my pride says, I'm going to do it anyway. Because I am my own God and my appetite is my belly and, and on I go. That's, uh, that's the nature of uh, satanic imitation through personal sin. And this is the estate of every unbeliever on the planet. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is the lost estate of every unbeliever, even the nice ones. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this cosmos, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air that is now working. It's energizing, it's functional, it's it's equipping, it's working in, within the sons of disobedience. You ever think about that? We, We, of course have uh, the advantage of being believers. We're saved. And we get to claim the promise that says, for it is God who is at work in you 
to willing to do of His good pleasure. Don't you like that? Isn't that a good thing to have, that God the Father works in us? It's a great thing. Do you ever stop to realize that Satan views himself as a counterfeit father? That he said, I will be like the Most High God. So do you ever start to think that as a counterfeit father trying to do everything that God the Father does, if God the Father is at work in us to willing to do of His good pleasure, do you think Satan is at work in the unbeliever to willing to do of His good pleasure? This passage says that's exactly what he's doing. According to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He's at work in and through his children as well to willing to do of his good pleasure. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we've looked at this, we've seen this, and in, in, uh, this was a big part because it's parallel to our Colossians material right now. But this is the case for every unbeliever. And even the nice ones, the moral ones, the ones that, um, that we get along with in the neighborhood, the ones that um, they, uh, they're very friendly, they're very uh, polite, they're nice people. They, um, they, uh, they vote the way you do. They, they, they like the same kind of movies you like. They go to the same operas. They, you have a lot in common in, in earthly terms. But if they're not saved, they belong to the dragon. They are servants of Leviathan. And their niceness is a tool in his hands. Their, their sweetness misleads a lot of people and it lulls a lot of people into joining with them and and oh it can't be that bad they're good people now what fellowship hath light with darkness okay don't buy into that so that's the first one that's the lamp we have the violence the violence of the wicked the violence of the wicked drags them away or carries them away or leaves them takes them to a place they don't want to be Proverbs 21 7 the violence of the wicked will drag them away because they refuse to act with justice we're told again it's not contradictory parallelism it's complementary parallelism the one defines the other and so the violence of the wicked drags them away. They're taken to a place they didn't intend to go, but there they are. Because they refuse to act with justice. They had an option to do something else, but they rejected it. We're going to do this next week when we come back. Some out of time this morning. But the, the, um, there's really two separate vocabulary terms we have to kind of combined together. The one that's used here is showed, S-H-O-D, Strong's number 7701. But it's the, it's the more rare of the two terms. They, the other one that's used is Hamas. And we've seen Hamas previously. Hamas came up earlier in Proverbs. Um, but the idea of violence, it's uh, the, the Hamas especially is the is the uh, terrorist organization that the Arabs 
attack Israel are constantly, right? Hamas. If you think about it, and here's Hamas and all of their defenders in the American media and all of their funders, you know, uh, that they get cited as a human rights organization like CARE, C-A-I-R. I mean, anytime they, I, I want to puke every time they get cited as if somehow they're a, they're a, a human rights organization or they're, they're a, uh, no, they're, they're funders of terrorism. They're a front organization for Hamas. And that was proven in, in uh, a Texas court 20 years ago. Why do we still give them any kind of voice in the public square? So anyway, we're going to come back and we're going to see more satanic imitation. So it's one thing to be an imitation of Satan in the pride and the arrogance or to imitate Satan in the telling of lies or to imitate Satan in, in several other ways. But, well... I mean, I wouldn't go this far, would I? You know, my dear Aunt Sadie, she wouldn't go this far, would she? Well, how far a step is it to turn to violence if you're already steeped in a satanic mindset? If your mindset is already you're the center of the universe and the most glorious being you know, (laughs) then, and then partly too, we have to recognize that violence is more than simply Um, physical force against a person. It actually harms another person. The harm that you bring to other people. And so, yeah, you're you're sweet, nice. Maybe they wouldn't slap you and where you have to turn the other cheek, but they are harming you. They're harming you, they're harming your family, they're harming your culture, they're harming your, your civilization. They're bringing about tremendous harm and violence. And they're making excuses for the people who are doing the physical violence. So, that's what we'll pick up one week from today. Lord willing and rapture pending. Assuming, of course, that the world does not end next Tuesday night. So uh, keep that in your prayers as well. And, uh, and, and just play it by ear. If we have to cancel, we'll cancel. If, if there's violence in the streets, if there's, um, if there's uh, an effort to overthrow something, you know, we'll, just, we'll send phone calls out. We'll, we'll send out an email. But Lord willing, rapture pending, we'll, uh, we'll come together next week and pick up on this. Father, thank you for your truth, for your faithfulness, for your mercy, love, and grace. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.